0: Comics like a clown, no noses all pages Bagging, boarding Batman in the gutter like amazing storytellers We some fellas, we some felons in the mazes Acapella, varicella, cause this shit is so contagious Mouse on the summaries, compiling got the show While the cycle spitting knowledge on the Yeti like a pro Keep the babble, we the rabble, don't step to the squad We get active, can hate haters like a cephalopod You don't like fish talk, do you hate a tomato? We the cuttlefish killers, tentacles on the table Greatest us five stars if you cherish your life Bucky Barnes hit squad, spraying lead in your pipe Hey, everybody, welcome to another edition of Is This Just Bad? Is This Just Bad? The best podcast you've never heard of. I'm your host, Professor Mouse. Joined, as always, by the CB Cosmologist, Trash or Good? Trash or Good, the award-winning Tony Critics' Choice and Nickelodeon award-winning segment, Trash or Good? Is it Trash <laughs> or Good? The city of Pittsburgh, Trash or Good?
1: You're going to have to tell me, since you have recent experience, my uh, knee-jerk reaction. Trash.
0: You know, uh, I, I think your knee jerk reaction would be correct, although I am also colored by a deep distaste
1: for a city that I had never been to until recently. Um, oh, yeah. So is your pre visit trash assessment significantly different from your post visit, spoiler alert, trash assessment? I'm going to say this just to be,
0: just to keep it 100% all at the same time in this space. <laughs> okay. I don't know. It does just too many words. <laughs> um, uh, I, the the kind of trash that I encountered is not significantly different from the kind of trash that I live in. Oh, you're just gonna <laughs> both sides this now, aren't you? I'm not. I'm not both In this. It was very familiar. <laughs> oh, okay. very very familiar. I can understand why. Two. Certain uh, rust belt cities that like never recovered hate each other so much, just like when you have a twin. <laughs> <laughs> Stop taking all my stuff,
1: <laughs> they're just too similar, they cannot exist in the same space. That's funny. Um, yeah,
0: but just like, just like, uh, you, you drive through Pittsburgh and you see a bunch of like factories that just used to be teeming with like workers and people and 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 neighborhoods just full of vacant houses that used to you know, be attainable for middle-class people. Now you can't even fucking develop them. Uh, it, it's it's very, very, very similar. And so the story I'm going to tell is an extreme one. Um, the likes of which uh, you may have seen, like in the film Barbarian, uh, about like a haunted Airbnb. But that that's kind of uh, my entree into this. And I've never encountered anything quite as horrific uh, here in this place. But I'm sure it exists. So there's a whole thing where uh, we, and I was not involved in this, and I just, and I don't want to take accountability for selecting (laughs) Airbnb. Uh, I take accountability for a lot of stuff, but not that. So
1: um, you know better than to reserve (laughs) a haunted Airbnb.
0: (laughs) Well, so this is something that I've been doing are are you back on your hotel kick now. Well, it, it's with eight people, eight oh. people in a hotel is that, that at that point it gets too expensive. But, um, you know, if I'm traveling by myself, I would rather stay in a hotel than an Airbnb. Um, but so I wonder if you can relate to this. This is something I've been doing as I've been getting older, which is I, if I don't have the money to do something that would be, uh, like, comfortable and enjoyable, I'd rather save it up, do less shit, and then do the the one thing good, like, the right way. And so rather than, like, staying at a hostel in Europe and going on a lark and buying a red-eye ticket, like, something that I would have done in college, I just don't do that anymore. And I'm not, like, wealthy, so... <laughs> The the trips have to come fewer and farther between, but they need to be quality. Otherwise it's like, what the fuck am I doing?
1: Yeah, most definitely. You know, we spent college years like doing the, you know, super cheap hostel uh and freezing our asses off in Athens for a week just so we could go and spend the whole week and you know, and it was great. And but as we've gotten older, it's like I'm just just gonna pay extra for the nice hotel yeah. and do the convention the right way and not and like book an extra day on either side i'm not going to do very many of these and but i'm gonna splurge and do it right yes Yes. absolutely you gotta maximize your time on this earth
0: so (laughs) that so this was you know again this is a philosophy i've taken i remember uh very recently my wife is going to florence she picked like a dirt cheap ass ticket with like a 15 hour layover. And it's because she had the points on Southwest, but she didn't have enough points to like get a good ticket. So she had to take this fucked up ticket. And I was like, just spend the money and book a new fucking ticket. Get or get, or, or get the upgrade to, to a better flight because this shit is terrible. Like you're going to be miserable. You're going to have a miserable time in Italy. Um, So, Again, I think she has that mindset more than I do, though. So she booked with her sister who paid for it. Ultimately, I think it falls on her sister uh, An Airbnb in Pittsburgh that had only two reviews on it and it had enough space for eight people. And it was for four days, four nights, six hundred dollars. Okay, that's trouble.
1: That's too good to be true.
0: That's too cheap. That is way too cheap. Um, if you're not crossing a thousand dollars, which is fine because there's four families going, you can split it, right? Mm -hmm. But like, here it was like, we're getting a deal, like, we're at the flea market, we're trying to,
1: you know, haggle with the. This is absolutely the first 15 minutes of a horror movie, like, this is all the expository setup. (laughs) Don't go in the basement,
0: so uh, we. You know, drive there, we drive to Pittsburgh and and Pittsburgh. The other the reason I don't love going there is because they have a turnpike, but it's not like the New Jersey Turnpike. The New Jersey New Jersey turnpike is straight. The the turnpike to go to Pittsburgh curves the whole fucking time. So you can't just put your car in cruise control and kind of like, you know, enjoy the sights. You gotta like focus the whole time. And uh, and people drive wild still like they'll take those curves 70, 80 miles per hour. It's not like oh, a man. leisurely drive up the. Oh, this is crazy to say. It's not like a leisurely drive up the New Jersey Turnpike. It's a fucking Mario Kart ass ride around the fucking Pittsburgh. One. Uh-huh. Um. <laughs> so the so we we get there right after my mother-in-law. My mother-in-law comes out and she says. Don't unpack anything. And we say, why not? And she said, well, I want a second opinion. I don't think we should stay here. You should come look inside. Wow, this is not a great start. (laughs) And we go, "Okay," And I'm wondering in my mind, like, how bad could it be? (laughs) Like, how bad could it be? So. I walk inside, instantly hit in the face with a waft of shit smell. It just Ugh. like smells like absolute dookie. And I don't think my mother-in-law just took a dookie in the house. That, 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 that must be that, that that was that was uh, a That was a prefab to get a dookie. <laughs> um so she's like, Oh, right, come down in the basement because the kids were supposed to sleep in the basement. There's no going to the basement. There's two kids, 12, 10 years old. And we learned from Scream that you never go to the basement by yourself. That's how the murderer gets you. So we all three went down there. Um, we saw like the couch, which was supposed to be a couch bed, not a couch bed, just a couch. And so that already is a little sus. Um, and that's all that's down there. Just a couch and a television. Looks very barren. There's supposed to be a bathroom, separate bathroom for the kids. Walk into the bathroom. Bathroom is backed up. The toilet bowl is lined oh. with shit and covered in cigarette butts. Oh, come on. It smells like absolute shit. Um, Go into the garage, which is attached to the basement. And inside there are all of the linens that are supposed to be on the sheet on the beds. Mm-hmm. And so nobody had cleaned, obviously, because there's a toilet full of shit. And all of the linens are in a hamper in the garage. Uh, Go upstairs. It gets worse. It's go worse upstairs. than this. Go upstairs. And <laughs> there's two two things bad about the upstairs. The upstairs absolutely doesn't have enough space. So, like there are eight people are supposed to stay in this house. Probably if it didn't reek of shit and didn't have the next feature, which I'm about to tell you, uh, like maybe four or five people could stay in there. Mm-hmm. Um, the next thing she shows us is on one of the dressers. There is a white substance that looks awfully hot a, a like ejaculate.
1: Jesus Christ. I was going to guess dead body, but that's the next. Yeah. Okay. And uh, well, if there's a
0: dead body in the house and she said, I need a second opinion, that's more telling on her. Well, that's fair. But it, the ejaculate, I I don't know what is worse. That they didn't clean, that the there's a toilet's backed up full of shit and makes the whole house smell like shit, or that somebody came on a dresser.
1: A lot of a lot of choices were made here. I'm trying to reconstruct what kind of weekend the previous tenants or the previous guests had. Oh, they were just shitting and coming all over the place.
0: Like, <laughs> I guess so. They, like couldn't handle, it couldn't keep any of the fluids inside their bodies. It was <laughs> a mess um but the other thing she told me and this was this at this point questioning her judgment a little bit was that a strange man came to and knocked on the door several times like hard and she just kind of hid away until he left and I was like who was it and the other thing is that the person who booked it wasn't there so we had to like call and then she had to message through the Airbnb thing and like it was like a whole mess. We couldn't get any answers. Um, turns out that guy was the plumber. So they knew that the toilet was full of shit and they didn't say anything.
1: They didn't they like were just like banking on all the plumber will get there is the plumber. not going to do laundry though. <laughs> yeah, no,
0: nobody was there. They didn't send the cleaning people. They didn't send the it was a fucking nightmare. And so, yeah, we get on. To Airbnb and we end up spending The amount of money you should probably spend For a four day trip With eight people mm-hmm. And this is why I sort of prefaced it with like You just gotta like do the thing And You know take advantage of it And have fun enough And then also like maybe Don't eat out for the next Two months or some shit Like that like It was harrowing And that place was a fucking like Death House LLC. Um, But yeah, so the next place we go to is great. I mean, it's like three stories. There's plenty of beds. There's even a crib for the there's a baby coming. There's a one year old baby coming. And we were like, oh, we'll figure it out. I'll we'll sleep with the parents or whatever. And then these kids will sleep on the couch, throw them wherever they'll sleep on the fucking floor. And then everybody get their own bed. You know, we had a giant kitchen. We cooked a bunch of stuff. I made fucking chicken cutlets like the way your old Nona used to do it uh like lasagna and and we ordered some uh some of Pittsburgh's finest foods and ate some of Pittsburgh's finest pastries uh which includes a like uh toasted almond uh it's kind of like a uh like a white bear claw oh that sounds good covered in like toasted almond. And the lady at the pastry shop was like, "This is like a Pittsburgh delicacy. You got to eat this." And we had it. It was pretty good. Um, and the city itself is is incredibly small. You could kind of like see right past it. Like you could mm-hmm. stand in the middle of Pittsburgh and see all of it. It's a very small. It's like a town. Has a town vibe. Um, yeah, and 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 it has all that weird shit that like sort of like rust belt cities have. Uh, we went into a, a liquor store that only sold shit made in Pittsburgh, which was <laughs> cool. Uh, okay. Yeah. So we got like some a bottle of gin and some beers and stuff like that and had them. It's, you know, it was all right. Uh, but yeah, my first impression of Pittsburgh was this place is a bowl of shit, like literally.
1: Now, I got to revise my trash estimate on any city that's got like a bear claw as a okay. tra- as a <laughs> Trademark. <laughs> Um pastry because that's pretty that's pretty legit. Um yeah. I, I mean it every
0: city is kind of the same. Cities
1: <laughs> like that, especially too. Like your you know, your little sort of shell of a once great industrial powerhouse city. They all come up the same. They're all really sad.
0: <laughs> yeah, they're all really sad, but every city kind of has the same shit. This is why I don't buy into like New York is the greatest city on earth. Because I've been in New York and I've had their bagels and I've had their pizza and I've had and found good bagels and pizza elsewhere, too, that I would like rank higher than the shit I've had in New York. New York just has like everything is so concentrated that it is by default. It's like the the world's most like the world's most ideal city because you don't have to have a car to do anything, get anywhere you want to go pretty quickly. Uh, you can do pretty much anything you want to do. And there's a real convenience element there.
1: As long as you subtract like a million people.
0: Yeah, that the trade-off, of course, is that everybody likes the idea of doing that. So a ton of people have moved
1: there. You just want to build more cities like that is the thing. Yeah. So not everybody wants to crowd into a single city. All cities should just yeah. be built like that.
0: Yeah, and that, and and like people talk about like the hipsters thing in New York, and and they make fun of them and stuff like that. And that was like a big topic of like stand-up comedy when we were in college. But it is fucking true to walk through Brooklyn, which used to be like this, you know, Italian American enclave, and then became this like pivotal site after the sort of movement of Italians out of Brooklyn. It became a pivotal site of like African American culture and legacy to see people like in the bike lanes with the unicycles and selling like fucking handmade clothes in artisanal shops and like living in broom closets and the, and then like imagining like James Weldon Johnson walked down these streets. Fucking Langston Hughes was here.
1: Mm-hmm. Now
0: this is what we have. This is a nightmare. It's so yeah. sad walk. Yeah, there's little literal clowns walking down the street. It's very sad. Um, yeah, so every every city has declined in some way. They've either like have no capital left in them, or they've become fucking erotic, horrible like uh, sites of displacement. The Chicago is very similar to um, but yeah. So Pittsburgh has a football team.
1: Baltimore has a football team. That's the only second. I got one for you. Trash or good. The fall of the Roman Empire. The extended Roman holiday. The firing of Greg Roman. I've been reading. I've
0: been working all day and like uh, taking breaks to periodically start looking at all of the discourse surrounding Greg Roman's firing. Greg Roman is the offensive coordinator for the Baltimore Ravens. not anymore (laughs) he was let's let's put this let's put this in like layman's terms so people can understand uh like every nfl team has 700 coaches yes there's like a fucking uh, in addition to there being like a head coach there's a defensive coordinator there's an offensive coordinator under them and there's also a special teams coordinator under them there are uh, uh, coaches that work with kickers. There are coaches that work with exclusively with the cornerbacks. There's coaches that work exclusively with the offensive line. Mm-hmm. There's also like quality control people. There's personnel management. There's just like so many people work on a fucking football team, and we were we were texting in our group chats and 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 talking about all the problems that are coming up right now as this contract is is coming to loggerheads and trying to figure out where to ascribe blame. And it's very hard to do that because there's so many people involved in a goddamn football team, Um, which was something that I was just sort of like reading through and all of the uh, muck that, that that that's been going on. Um, And so the offensive coordinator sometimes calls the plays, Sometimes he does not. Like Mike McDaniel has an offensive coordinator in Miami, but he's a like legendarily good offensive mind. So he calls the plays. Same with Sean McVay. Baltimore's head coach has always been just like a guy that manages to keep everything chill and relaxed.
1: And then the coordinators yeah.
0: do all the fucking work.
1: Yeah, every if you ever watch a Ravens game, someone will always eventually talk about. Did you know John Harbaugh was a special teams coach and studied under, you know, Andy Reid? And that's true. But yes, Harbaugh is like the cool principal or whatever, Um, you know, the cool uh, after school um, coach. He's very much a culture guy. And by all accounts, players like playing for him mm-hmm. and he's able to build, or as you pointed out, he inherited and was able to continue this sort of Raven's way culture where they're perennially an okay team mm-hmm. and everybody who goes there likes playing for them. And so everybody's got goodwill and they're able to generally keep people or attract older players and, yeah. um, And I think there is value there in having this sort of like, you know, what you don't have from the Baltimore Ravens is the constant drama, generally, that you have in somewhere like Green Bay or Tampa Bay or Mm -hmm. anywhere where there's like a diva quarterback and a head coach who... Hates his players and his players hate him
0: way too soon because we're currently well quarterback controversy, but yes,
1: traditional fair enough. Traditionally, traditionally I'm thinking, I'm thinking I'm not thinking specifically this year because of course there's, we'll talk about that in a second, but big picture you generally get, you know, it's just kind of chill and collegial and friendly in Baltimore in the locker room. And then that allows them to like close ranks and be huge bullies to other teams. Um, yeah. There is value there, I think. What John Harbaugh does not seem to be able to do is call original, unique plays of his own. That's not his strong suit. And so it does feel like, unlike other coaches, Mm -hmm. the offensive coordinator position and the defensive coordinator position matter a lot more in Baltimore than they do in other places.
0: Yeah, yeah. And so that, that culture was something that, like Art Modell who was a fucking crazy guy. He like stole the Ravens in the middle of the night. Somebody told me this weekend he printed like Baltimore Browns jerseys and shit like that before they they decided to like rebrand them. He was a kooky Um, and uh, we had Ozzie Newsome who for the longest time was our GM and we had Brian Billick who was the head coach for the 2000 Ravens team that won the Super Bowl. And uh, uh, they're doing this like Bullies of Baltimore uh, 30 for 30 that's coming out soon and the Sunday before the Super Bowl. And a lot of people are really affected by the Ravens culture, a lot of vets. Um, And one of like old sort of almost over the hill guys that came to the Ravens later in his career is Shannon Sharp. And Shannon Sharp has talked about this ad nauseum and you can see it if you ever watch and if you haven't watched this as sort of just like a primer on Raven's culture they did a hard knock season the year after they won the Super Bowl all of which is on YouTube so you can see every episode somebody uploaded it on YouTube and I remember watching that and really getting a sense of like how how the team was different from other teams and it's because Billick let them do whatever the fuck they wanted and Ray Lewis <laughs> that too far But like he really did Was like if you come to the meetings You're supposed to come to and if you Practice hard and if you show up on Sunday I don't care what you do I don't care what you say to the media You guys can fucking race golf carts Around this motherfucking compound You can go off-roading you can steal each other's Trucks you can play pranks on one another You can uh, impersonate Each other you can have like dozens Insults with each other you could do anything You want I don't care have fun. This is football. It's a game. Like that was his whole thing. And Harbaugh inherited that culture and was like, when they picked him out, they were like, you're a guy who can do that for us. You can continue doing that for us. And you can foster that environment because that's what we strive for here as an organization. Cause it's what separates us from the Patriots. Cause if you go and you drop a mixtape of, of under Bill Belichick, he's going to fucking uh, cut you the next week. Mm-hmm. it doesn't matter if you were the super bowl fucking mvp like he benched malcolm butler for like several like and nobody even knew why after he like saved their season and so that's what really distinguishes the ravens from everybody else and it's also kind of loki biting them in the ass with lamar jackson because he's doing all that stuff mm-hmm. that they encourage him to do you know like, be
1: fun and and this is something that you know harbaugh it's like you know you're fun like after school, uh. You know, um, activities proctor or whatever. It's like, yeah, joke around. And like, they seem to have fun on the sidelines. Then Harvard, like, yeah, go for it on fourth down. Whatever. I trust you have fun. It's football. And then he fucks up.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And and Harbaugh has fallen like victim to that a lot because he can't save his quarterback from himself. And yeah. this is something that him and Greg Roman were negotiating because you would see Harbaugh on the sideline be like, "Go for it, go for it, go for it," and they don't pan to Greg Roman in those moments. But Lamar and Harbaugh on the same page, he might be like, "No, go for it. We need the three points now. Yeah. Winners Tuck, get Tuck out there." Uh, but yeah, that's just sort of the shorthand that they develop. The, the The thing about Greg Roman is that he is like a flaw. He has a flawless record. It's unblemished. He made uh colin kaepernick into this like lethal weapon in the nfl and the moment he left san francisco cap started to decline and a lot of his decline owed largely to the fact that he was not put in a position to succeed with roman he was in a position to succeed um the same thing with lamar jackson he was offensive coordinator during lamar's mvp year which is not to you know give all the credit to Greg Roman, but I mean he was calling the fucking plays, right? And so they developed that together. This year when Lamar was playing and they were eight and four, the four games they lost, they were up by two scores. Like we hadn't gotten Roquan Smith yet. We were Mm -hmm. defensively challenged and Cal Hamilton and all these guys are still sort of coming into their own as NFL players. Like we saw that really, you know, improve towards the latter half of the season where we wouldn't have blown that Miami game. We wouldn't have blown uh, you know, all these t- sort of two score games that we were up. During that stretch, the Baltimore offense was better or, or Lamar Jackson by himself was better than 10 NFL offenses, total offenses.
1: Yeah. And so this is what's interesting, though, is these stats in your right. Uh, and you know, when Greg Roman left, they gave a little press release about all of the statistical categories his offense crushed in and their rushing statistics. And that's great. I think we've got to look, though, at the way NFL gameplay works, because it's like Fire Emblem or early Pokemon or Rock, Paper, Scissors. There's this like constantly evolving metagame of running versus passing versus defense. And something that Greg Roman was really, really powerful at, and the reason Colin Kaepernick was such a lethal weapon, is this idea of being able to craft an offense around a runner. And when you when the rest of the league shifts to defenses that are designed to cover the receivers for guys who've got cannons for arms, and they're smaller and they're faster and they're you know a little bit more agile to like have to cover all of these long plays, when you suddenly hit them from a weird angle, which is a bunch of big dudes, bunch of runners, you can't stop them and you can't rush Lamar Jackson effectively. Suddenly, it looks brilliant and notably that's what happens at the beginning of greg roman's time with lamar jackson that's when he's got that mvp season he's doing these video game cheat code things because the defenses are not prepared for this like off meta brand of offense that's great for a couple of years and then defenses start to adapt and defenses start to realize wait a second greg roman has like and lamar jackson have one really really good thing that they do and that was hard to defend when we didn't know it was coming and when we were primed for a passing attack. And now once we know that all we got to do is cover Mark Andrews um, and there is no passing attack, then suddenly it it becomes a much flatter game plan to have to defend against. And I think people just kind of figured it out.
0: Yeah, I mean, but he was able to take cap to the Super Bowl and get one score away from winning the Super Bowl. I think the offense can work cap during that period was unquestionably a better thrower than Lamar Jackson and they had more weapons on that team um it is just uh, so to my mind you have the only guy in the NFL who can really turn uh a a passing deficient quarterback into a massive offensive threat he's gone now the Ravens led in every statistical category when it came to rushing and very few statistical categories when it came to passing. Well, no statistical categories when it came to passing. Um, And he broke a ton of records and all of this shit. And mind you, this is a organization that was built on running backs. Like, we went from like Jamal Lewis to Ray Rice to like all of these different running backs. We've always been a run first team. We've never had a good quarterback. We went from fucking Trent Dilfer to like Kyle Bowler to Joe Flacco to, you know, whatever. There was that one season where Gary Kubiak was the offensive coordinator before he went to Denver, where Flacco threw for like 4,000 yards or something like that. Right. Probably the only season he ever did it. Um, And so the, the question is uh, who do you get? Because you have people on the market. You have people who are in the playoffs yeah. right so now. So to go
1: back a step here, just to make this clear for our listeners, I think what we're saying is if you get rid of Greg Roman, which they just have, there's no reason to keep Lamar Jackson. That And people are
0: speculating that that's kind of what's happening right now. It's like, Harbaugh, put on your suit, go out there, sell the fact that we still want Lamar Jackson. Because if we don't sell that, then if we hit the trade market, people are going to be like... Uh, you, have, ball us. you have to get off him and Like we're not going to give you all these picks And everything that you want Because he doesn't want to play for you He's not going to play for you And so it could be that And also like ditch Roman Because we have all of these QBs All, all our backups are Catered to this specific offense That we're going to have to blow up Because we're not keeping Lamar That could be one thing that's happening The other thing that could be happening is That potentially We are uh, we are priming for a we're 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 priming to pay Lamar. This is fucking so stupid. We're (laughs) we're priming to pay Lamar the contract that he wants and also satisfy his desire to throw the football more.
1: So like here, Lamar, we'll give you everything you need because and we'll get you a different offensive coordinator that lets you throw the ball and we'll hope that you've somehow managed to learn how to throw the ball.
0: Right. In which case we could be seeing 250 million dollars worth of picks for the next and not draft picks. <laughs> Interceptions. <laughs> um there there are guys out there you 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 mentioned Eric Bieniemy. That 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 would be great. But he's the offensive coordinator for Patrick Mahomes.
1: Yeah, and he's he wants a head coaching job. I think like he's been passed over a couple of times. Yeah, um, he's got a great resume. If you know, it feels like if I'm Eric Bien-Ami, why do I want to leave that team for anything less than a head coaching job? Because I've got a great thing going. Yeah, if we get rid of Harb, he he could be a potential candidate.
0: Sean Payton is working at the, uh, like at the Fox desk or ESPN or wherever the hell he is. The Broncos are pursuing him very uh, aggressively to try to turn that around. Uh, I'm shocked that the Ravens haven't talked about potentially replacing Harbaugh, um, considering that this does seem like an intractable problem. If he wasn't as close with Lamar as he is, I think he would be gone.
1: Yeah, I mean, if we're using the Jay-Z math, he's got a one-hot season every 10-year average, doesn't he? (laughs) Pretty much.
0: And, and, but uh, but also the team does go the way that the coordinators go. Like when, when, when Gary Kubiak was with the Ravens, we saw like another side of Joe Flacco. We're like, oh shit, he can throw the ball. Like,
1: Yeah, and that backs up our original point here, which is that the OC is really important in Baltimore, where the culture of the offense really changes in a way that under other head coaches like uh, Belichick, It doesn't really matter who's in the O.C. position because it's the head coach that's doing all of the final decisions here. You swap out the O.C. and the the dimension of that attacking changes. Yeah. Which is to Uh, say Harbaugh doesn't know what he's doing, I guess.
0: uh, He knows exactly (laughs) what he's doing, because being a head coach
1: is like being a director on a movie set where it's like. Right. You've got a, a director of cinematography who is doing different things. And yeah, that's that important guy, that's project management. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, well, you're like figuring out what color
0: cups to use, um, not to diminish what a director does. But, you know, there are people doing like like gaffers and shit and, and like people who are doing special effects and stunt coordinators are out there like making the movie and their director is like orchestrating everything. Uh, to, to to fit within a cohesive vision. And I think Harbaugh does a great job at that. But, you know, at what point, at what point is his job on the line? And this is the other thing. It's like, okay, so you, Greg Roman resigns. That was probably a forced resignation. He's revered. It, it would look bad if the Ravens fired Greg Roman. Um
1: Yeah, so, that was a, we're going to give you the opportunity to walk away gracefully.
0: Yeah. And he probably had also voiced displeasure at that, at that point. Um, because there's only so much you can do, too. And and this is also, uh, you know, probably goes hand in hand with working with the Ravens. It's like, you know, Tyler Huntley, like, presented the ball as if he was holding Simba over Pride Rock to the other team. Like, the game was right there.
1: Yeah. What the fuck happened? <laughs> like, that was crazy. Yeah, you- the Ravens did totally outplay the Bengals for... You know, fifty-eight of sixty minutes.
0: Yeah, and you and you 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 can do everything except go out there and do it yourself when you're the OC. And so I I'm I'm sure all of the contract controversy drama bullshit, in addition to the fact that it's it was you know he's also one and four in the playoffs, so he's probably like, oh man, this shit's not going anywhere. Uh, let me get out of here. I'm going to get fired anyway. I'm sure it was like slightly a mutual decision. This guy's been in the NFL for like 30 years. He knows how this shit works.
1: Yeah. And he'll show up somewhere else immediately.
0: Yeah. Um, and people are going to be looking for him. So here's one thing I've been watching and, and sort of um, tuning in to all like the, the, the talk shows and shit like that. And there are very few people um, who have like an inside track on this um, because
1: People are keeping things close to the vest. And this is part of the Ravens' culture of they don't leak a bunch of drama the same way, say, Aaron Rodgers will.
0: Yes. But there is a guy who was on FS1 named Mark Schlereth, who was an offensive lineman for the Denver Broncos uh, when John Elway was playing there. He has a couple of uh, rings, I think, with the Broncos. And uh, his nickname is Stink. And, and Stink has been going on uh, First Things First, which is a great show on FS1. Uh, best sports show out right now. And he he's a close friend of John Harbaugh. A very, oh. very close friend of John Harbaugh. And he he said a couple of things, and he's been saying it pretty much every day that... And here's the other thing, just as a tangent. The Ravens never get talked about in the, in the media, so it's very strange to, like... Tom Brady just got bounced out of the playoffs and that's like the fucking, you know, that's like the F block of every sports show. It doesn't matter. Like Tom Brady doesn't matter. (laughs) People are interested in two, two things, Aaron Rodgers and Lamar Jackson, because these situations are fucking filled with drama it usually doesn't happen with the ravens. Um and so Stink has been talking about it a lot on television and he keeps saying the he keeps saying two things which I think are both true but I also think were communicated to him probably by John Harbaugh. And one of them was John Harbaugh and Lamar Jackson have an absolutely stellar relationship. Those two guys truly love each other. Um the other thing is that ownership, and he always says it like he's speculating, but I'm sure John Harbaugh just told him this, and he's saying, you know, if I had to guess, Uh I would say ownership probably thinks that this offense is unsustainable in the long term.
1: Which I think that's... Which means Steve Bishotti sat down with John and said, hey, Harbs, this offense is
0: unsustainable in the long term. Yeah, we gotta ditch Greg Roman. We got yeah, like we have to retool everything. I think that is what the impasse is. I don't think that they and and notably, he's not saying that Lamar Jackson is unsustainable in the long term. He's saying this offense is unsustainable in the long term. And so is there a way to make everybody in this situation happy? I think Greg Roman is the precondition for like even approaching like an exploration of that mm-hmm. not of fixing it, but like we're so far away from fixing it, but like, can we even explore it? Can we get Lamar to a place where he's happy enough to play and play in a new system and try on a new game? And can we get him the pieces that he needs in order to do that?
1: Yeah. So you brought up something about Lamar saying on social media that he thought Greg Romans, the reason wide receivers don't want to come to Baltimore.
0: He just kept liking every post that said that it's just like liking like people were, were tweeting like uh, Greg Roman is like wide receiver repellent like uh, no elite wide receiver wants to go into Greg Roman system like <laughs> Lamar Jackson would do great in a pro style system. The Greg Roman system is trash like he just is. Yeah, he just is indicating through his likes that he agrees with all of that.
1: OK, so, yeah, I mean, that seems like the least drastic and most believable option is that they franchise tag Lamar, give him a new O.C., bring a couple of wide receivers in, try that experiment and kick the de- the can down road down the road for another year or two of a even more drastic decision, which is either new quarterback or new head coach.
0: Yeah, so here's the here's the thing. And I don't know if has, this has gotten to this point with Lamar Jackson. Players can refuse the franchise tag. Mm-hmm. They don't have to take it. They won't be able to play for a year. They won't be able to play for any team. So essentially, the, 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 the rule of the franchise tag is put the franchise tag on. We offer the franchise tag to the player. Player signs. Player gets a guaranteed fixed amount of money. Or player doesn't sign. Player can't play with this team or any team for a year. I don't know. Uh, I think that, you know, we'll we'll see what this is really about. If this is really about, you know, just getting paid what you're worth, Lamar will sign it and he'll go out and he'll play. But if it's about, you know, something more than that, if it's the principle of the contract itself, then he, he might not fucking sign the thing.
1: Yeah, and a lot was made about the fact that he's his own agent, so he doesn't really have somebody to advise him on things like that. So it seems a lot more likely that it will be much more about his temperature and his emotions. And, you know, if it's true that he and John love each other, which I mean, from the sidelines seems to be absolutely true, then it feels like they're going to want to try to stay together. But, you know, we'll see.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, dire shit coming out of Baltimore. (laughs) and. But at least you know, and Lamar's doing his little shit. But it has not; it's not doesn't compare to Aaron Rodgers, who's just like, you know, we'll see if I come back or not. They literally guaranteed you fifty million dollars, a hundred million dollars over two years, to just play football. And then they drafted every wide receiver they possibly could, and this guy is going on television being like.
1: No, I don't know. Maybe.
0: I don't know. Maybe. I'm not sure. Let's see if they do anything. You said, let's see if they do anything to like sort of like entice me back. It's like, bro, what about the hundred million dollars? Was that (laughs) anything? Is that not enticing enough? You psychopath. (laughs) Yeah. What what do you mean if they do anything? They give you a hundred million (laughs)
1: dollars. Yeah, these he's in such like a strange parallel world that nobody else lives in except Elon Musk. Um yeah, he yeah. thinks he's the smartest guy who probably ever
0: lived. Um, <laughs> which is horrifying. Um but there's nerd stuff. Happening. Yeah, so
1: speaking of Dire Straits, um I wanted your your take on uh comicsology. So yeah, ex- um, yeah that to me. So um, I don't know much except that Amazon um, has just done a huge round of layoffs, including most of the staff of Comixology, which they absorbed in a bid to, um, you know, conquer the digital comic world. this was like 10 years ago. They then killed the native Comixology app, tried to integrate Comixology into the Kindle ecosystem. Everybody said that that kind of sucked and it was difficult to work with. Um, and then they've just recently laid off all of the, like core Comicsology people who know about comics, love comics, publisher first, like trying to fan first a real, um, you know, some folks that I know on social media that like I've seen have just lost their jobs. And right are you still using Comicsology? Was that because okay, you? Yeah, no, I went back to I went
0: back to hard copy stuff because they because Amazon has been fucking with Comicsology for a, a while. They kept threatening to phase the platform out, and mm-hmm. so. I canceled my subscriptions because I didn't want, I didn't want it to be like a CISO thing. I don't, I don't know if you remember that service, but it was like an NBC streaming service where, you know, they had like all of this content on there, and you could also buy content. And then it tanked. It disappeared. If you bought it, you just disappeared. You don't have any access to it at all. Um, and so I when when they started talking about re, re, re. re vamping the app in a new portal. I was like, this seems strange. And this, the writing had been on the wall for a long time with comiXology. So I went back to buying when I, the few times I do buy comics, I just buy the trade paperbacks um, and have them in hard copy form. And I try to limit the amount of comics I buy um, or get them on Kindle, which is like not as good as comiXology because comiXology was great because it had the like reader function. hmm. We could slide around, but that started getting wonky and shit. I think that this is just a furtherance of, you know, the sort of like dissolution of comic books. I think they'll probably will. They're not going to disappear overnight, but it's going to get to a point where DC and Marvel are only going to publish the very popular titles. And, a lot of these sort of like secondary characters and secondary books and tertiary books and small indie imprints and shit like that are going to go away or go to Kickstarter the way that they have been going where. Yeah. And
1: you see individual authors going off and Grant Morrison's got a substack called Xanadoom and is just announced like Xanadoom presents as a way to publish their own books. Yep. And everybody's got a Substack or a Kickstarter or a Fund Me of some kind, um, and the publishing houses are very much dissolving.
0: Yeah, and that works for people like Grant Morrison. who work work, work with like established comic book writers who have established themselves primarily through superhero books. Mm-hmm. But that's going to be a. I mean, that's really going to be a. a a sort of like career trajectory that's going to disappear.
1: Yeah. Because the, and if you can't use a Superman book as your stepping stone to get name brand value for yourself as a creator to then go off and get people to subscribe to your own creator on stuff, then how is anybody ever going to get started?
0: Yeah. 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 No, it's sad. Um, but like if, if digital comics are tanking, imagine what's happening to actual Physical
1: comics. Yeah, for sure um yeah no this is this is really
0: really strange and it goes back to also what you said about fake geek boys um <laughs> where people don't read comic books anymore mm-hmm. like, we argue about comic book movies it's strange because now because it, what it used to be and all of these conversations are annoying to be clear but it used <laughs> to be um people who read comics would go and they would see Green Lantern and be like, this is not it. Like, this is not how it happens. This is not a great representation of this or, or that character. Or like, how could they do this? Um, Now it's more so about like the the movies themselves. Like the movies have now become a conversation with the fucking movies and with each other. And there's this like, it's replaying the sort of like nerdy shit of the 80s and the 90s where people were like I'm a Marvel person I'm a DC person it's just now happening with the fucking movies and people are like comparing box office uh, of uh, whatever to whatever and
1: none of those people ever actually read a Iron Man book and it doesn't matter because they are are now their own fully realized worlds but you're right and we've seen um, superhero TV and movies speed running the superhero publishing experience of yeah. you know the fact that the boys exists x number of years after the mcu is a condensed reflection of the original boys being a parody of dc and marvel books so yeah. it's just all, it's all happening faster and all of the awful toxicity is happening in a more condensed uh straight up your veins version as well but you're right the it's so strange that i mean there's a feedback loop with a lot of the books are just Rehashes of the movies at this point, mm-hmm. um, or will centralize the characters that people liked in the movies because nobody's reading the books. Yeah, um, but there's they've spun off to the point where the books are at best screenplay treatment drafts for a potential movie, or they're just not getting written anymore, and certainly nobody's reading them. Yeah, which is a shame because they're you can still do things that are way weirder in the books and way more outlandish because they're so much, it's not expensive. <laughs> yes. And, and you see the kinds of conversations
0: that are happening like around like the Joker, for instance, this, this one for whatever reason has been very, um, uh, uh very highly talked about. Um, and, so like there, there are all these sort of versions of the Joker in the comic books, the Joker who killed Jason Todd or the Joker who shot, uh, uh, Barbara Gordon or, or, or the Joker who cut his own face off and stapled it back together. Like, or like the period where there were fucking seven Jokers and they were all multiversal and, and, and nuts and crazy and shit like that. Or like the Frank Miller Joker, like all these fucking jokers. Yeah, Your Brian has Joker. Yeah. Yeah. The Brian has one. Um, and now that's happening all the time on like geek forums and Twitter and shit like that, where people are arguing over whether the Jared Leto Joker is good or the Barry Keegan Joker is good. And like doing so in a way where it's like I can prove to you factually that the subjective thing that I think is true, like I can prove to you that Barry Keegan's Joker in uh, the Batman is bad. And that Jared Leto's Joker and Suicide Squad is good. And those are the conversations that are happening. And they just echo everything we've already heard about these characters in the fucking comic books.
1: Yeah. And it's so interesting because those conversations used to be built on the shifting sands of which one is more comic book accurate, which is doesn't make any sense because there are seven different versions of the character. So, like, the answer is yes depending on which version of the book you read. Yeah. Uh, but it's now even expanded beyond that of using either comic book accuracy as a foil or a cover for I hate women or something. Right. Um, or even it just doesn't feel right to me. But I've got now not even a, a shred of textual evidence to base that on, even though the textual evidence contradicts itself all the time. You might as well be arguing, you know, Bible study at this point. It's all nonsense. Um, But people are not even doing that. It's just I like Jared Leto more than I like, uh, you know, Jack Nicholson or whatever. So the the books have are successful enough in the characters they fostered and incubated to have made themselves obsolete, unless you want to weird read weird like Grant Morrison shit that. As of yet is unadaptable, but yeah. Graham Martin's going to try, and maybe James Gunn's going to try.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, and, and it is really weird too because it just has intensified. So, like on the on the Joker example, I remember when Heath Ledger was cast as the Joker, and everybody was like, "Oh, this fucking Chris Nolan's going to ruin everything," mm-hmm. and what? W- and 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 how is he going to possibly measure up to Jack? Like Jack was like the you know whatever the. Ideal, and then within quick succession, you get Jared Leto, you get Cameron Monaghan, you get uh, Mark Hamill still doing the voice, you get uh, in, in in various movies, you get uh, uh, Jared Leto, you get Barry Keegan, you get um, yeah, right. Who the fuck is going to be the Joker in, uh or or sorry, Joaquin Phoenix? I was like, who is the Joker in Joker? <laughs> Joker and Joker, yeah, right. Uh, so you you just have like a billion now. Like it's not even like a like it, it used to be because comics were so plentiful and movies about comics were so scarce, you would be like, Oh, this is my favorite one. How are they going to do it? Like, cause this is only going to happen once in my right.
1: life. Yeah. And this is how we felt about the Ryan Reynolds, Green Lantern movie. And that's why that one still stings so hard yeah. is like, and this is the only right. time. Yeah. Right so right. far we're still right. Especially if HBO falls, falls in on itself and they never make that series. Um, but You know, you you assumed, like, this is it. This is the one chance I'm ever going to get. Now, but to your point about comics falling apart, the movies are still, like, replicating. It's only the top three characters every time. You know, Marvel, to its credit, while we don't like that a lot of those stories all feel the same, they they started with, like, C-list characters that nobody cared about. Nobody gave a shit about Iron Man and Captain America in 2008. Um... I never
0: read, I still have never read an Iron Man comic. I've read him in Marvel events, but I've never read a single Iron Man comic, and I probably never will.
1: <laughs> They're not very good. <laughs> um, but that doesn't matter. And so, Marvel, to its credit, you know, it's tries, to, it just throws everything at the wall just because it's looking to stick whatever it can and it's burning through its library. But the fact that you've got 15 different televised jokers and we're still waiting on another green lantern movie is a different conversation about uh wb i guess um i'm making my way through the final season of star girl and obviously we clown on uh jeff johns constantly and i will not apologize for that Uh, but he is instrumental in the creation of star girl and that show is pretty good it got canceled they gave them enough advance notice to put season three to bed on its own terms. Yeah. Um, I'm about halfway through. And they did a very like early season arrow thing where they go to the Helix Institute and uh meet Mr. Bones, and there's like a bunch of kids in isolation chambers with, you know, very um carefully shot like nameplates on their doors, like this penny dreadful. But because they're JSA like tertiary characters, like I've never heard of any of these people. <laughs> and we're never going to see them again because it's just getting canceled. cancel. Uh, but it's refreshing to get, like, we're going to spend a lot of time talking about Jenny and Todd, Jade and Obsidian, the kids of the golden age, Alan Scott, Green Lantern. Like, this is the promised land of these kinds of adaptations is you just, like, bottom of the barrel, totally obscure um, characters that have a lot of interesting life to them. Yeah. And... I'd love to see that more of that and not the 16th Joker. Yeah,
0: no, for sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We, uh, we've reached sort of peak Joker.
1: I think. Yeah. Joker, uh, absolutely like super saturated with Jokers. Um, <laughs> they're, they're fucking
0: joking all the time. These guys, I want somebody to be serious for once.
1: Yeah. Why is so
0: serious? If you really want to kill the Batman? I, I want to know if you really want to do it. Cause
1: if yep. not, Hilariously, um, so this Gotham Knights show is actually coming. They filmed the pilot. Um, It is centered around Batman is dead. Somebody killed him. We don't know who. And we've got a bunch of kids. And it looks really bad. I mean, it looks like the Disney sort of descendants, um, kids of villains. But to its credit, it's trying something a little bit different with, like, new characters. To its detriment, it's still stuck in WB's absurd Batman without Batman idea that, like, we will make every TV show centered around a batshit hole in the world. Mm-hmm. No idea why that's a creative decision. They keep going back to, but you know, at least it's not another Joker, I guess.
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, the the other thing about like a lot of streaming services right now is that they cut they're just cutting shit. And it, it it's almost like parody at this point with Netflix. Mm-hmm. There was a there was a show that came out called 1899, which is a really interesting show.
1: By the folks who made dark?
0: Yes. By the folks who made dark one season, critically lauded, everybody loved it. Not enough people watched it, so Netflix canceled it immediately. Which is like especially shitty considering that that's going to kill the viewership for that show, because uh, if it's canceled and it's supposed to be a continuation story, people aren't going to watch it. Yeah, I'm not
1: going to start. it. the only reason I started Stargirl season three was because they had a bunch of interviews and articles being like, no, 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 no we promise it's going to end for real. Like yeah. we, we had enough advanced notice to know that we're putting a cap on it. Like, okay, I'll pick it up. Yeah. But, but yeah, I don't want to watch something that is just going to end on a cliffhanger.
0: Well, that's the shit that's happening too with. And Netflix took so long to greenlight Wednesday for a second season. Like it had been on the platform for a bunch. Like HBO would have all, like before it even came out, probably greenlit that fucking thing, knowing yeah. it was a smash hit. But Netflix. And
1: they took forever with uh, Sandman.
0: Oh yeah, they took like months. It was crazy. And people kept asking Neil Gaiman, he was like, I don't fucking know. I I just wrote <laughs> like the goddamn thing. Like uh yeah, they they so they it, it's taking them longer to renew shit and they're canceling shit as quickly as it comes out.
1: And we're seeing things get renewal orders revoked even.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And uh and on HBO, we're seeing shit get just tossed in the shitter. Um and it fucking absolutely blows. And it really blows if it affects if it starts affecting really prestigious stuff. Um, I'm not bummed about the Westworld cancellation uh, because that show had gotten to a point where somebody needed to put it out of its misery. Um, Agreed. Weirdly enough, I think they said all they needed to say at the end of season four. It wasn't good. But I couldn't imagine, and we talked about it for a long time, like what they would even do in another season of television.
1: Yeah, no, I was dreading like I would have out of like masochistic completion compulsion watched it, but did not want to watch another season of that show.
0: Couldn't even imagine what it would be. Um, oh, So crazy. So the you know, I so I'm, I'm fine with that. But if they start getting up to the prestige level and things like White Lotus start getting Mm cancelled then I'm having an issue um so we both finished White Lotus season two nice it was
1: good I'm fascinated to think fascinated to to hear what your wife thought about having been to Italy recently and given that you know totally different experience (laughs) Florence is very different from Sicily but I just mean like like they they were
0: slumming it. She was staying with a college to visit her college uh, uh, sister. I see. Nobody died. <laughs> Nobody died. And they I think they were staying at, in her dorm room. So no,
1: that's hilarious. Okay. Fair yeah, enough. Yeah. We love the second season specifically. We spent time living in Italy, like the culture of the various kinds of Italians. I imagine if we like knew the culture of Hawaii. Uh, well, we probably would have really enjoyed season one to on that level but um just the they just nailed it in season two of the different kinds of italians you meet the various like uh politics and gender politics of of italians and the i love the way season two's themes are different and the themes of each season match the environment that it's in and so season one's like Colonialism and exploitation. And then you got a slightly different spin on exploitation in this, like old school, almost like Commedia dell'arte. You know, we're talking about marriage tricks and adultery and the big, you know, faces watching you at all times. So I'd really oh, yeah. mob
0: and There's mob stuff. Yeah. Mafia in season two. Mm-hmm. Here's, here's a huge gripe I have with this show. And my wife actually did point this out. They're in Hawaii, they're in Italy, Sicily.
1: Where's the fucking food? Why? Well, I wonder if that's on purpose, because... Fucking food, dude! <laughs> no, I think this is... Yeah, part of the irony of the show is they're in these little hermetically sealed bubbles of these hotels. Right. And so you're getting, like, sort of... uh shave you know shave the corners off of these hotel menus and so it's like palatable for everybody it's nice food but it's not like super authentic like we hear about arancini once and then we never actually see them eating the arancini
0: we never see them eating any food like they, I, I think that's that's the issue i don't give a shit where they're eating it as long like that's one of the things about like shooting a show like this, like that's on location is like getting everything in the like you get all the beaches and shit like that. You get all of like you even get vehicles. There's a fucking mm-hmm. Vespa moment that happens.
1: The Vespa it's- moment. There's also a scene that's it's like lifted directly frame for frame from uh, La Aventura. Uh, Like the yeah. 60s Italian, which was awesome. Aubrey Plaza just starring in like a little mini movie of love Aventura was fan. We had just seen that movie randomly like a week yeah. prior. So good.
0: And the, but, and yeah, and the architecture right. when they go into the fucking old house or whatever the fuck it was. they'll big, the, the big palazzo, house, yeah. Palazzo. All of the, you see all the shit, but for whatever reason, Mike White does not want to shoot the food. <laughs> it's Like you will not see the, what these people are eating.
1: Yeah, and part of this is an actor thing where um, most actors will generally like not want to eat because like you got to match up the, the the continuity with takes, and it's really complicated uh, unless you're going to nail it in one take to like have the food seem to be the same amount of food and not have it not all be weird looking. Um, Jensen Ackles from Supernatural uh, famously does not care about that and yeah. will eat and will s- just spend an entire scene with food in his mouth, which is very funny and very natural and makes his performance really naturalistic. But is very weird in the context because he's the only one on, the, on that show that ever did that. So it like heightens this like that character apparently is just eating constantly and nobody else eats, by the way. And, and, you know, th- it's a show with a bunch of fucking Italians,
0: so it makes sense. But th- everybody on The Sopranos ate.
1: Right. <laughs> they were just eating the whole time. But like, it, it's n- s- for a show that, you know, has really naturalistic dialogue, has really interesting characters, feels really realistic. I think it's a very good point that one of the glaring omissions is. Food as like a real natural human part of the experience that would really help invest you in the characters that is just not happening and
0: it does it sounds like a nitpick but the reason that I say it is because what is so bizarre is that so much of the show happens around food
1: happens they're constantly at- talking about it yeah they're at dinner tables like they mention the menu constantly there's like the buffet tables in the morning in a bunch of scenes. And, and they're like, and 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 because I remember when we were
0: talking about it, it, was one of those scenes with the buffet table, and it's almost like they went out of their way to not show you the fucking food was
1: like
0: <laughs> panned up immediately to like get Aubrey Plaza or somebody coming in. And they were just like, don't show them the food.
1: God. Yeah, I'd be fascinated to do like a round table with Mike White and you know some directors. Be like, hey, bro, what's your deal with food? He just hates shooting, and it. it's like, yes. yeah, I guess. <laughs>
0: Um, no, yeah, but it, the, it, this is an interesting sort of like, um, uh, this is an interest, a really interesting uh, phenomenon, the limited series thing where, and I, I always kind of struggle with this when I'm watching shit and it's like a television show that doesn't deserve to be one. Or it's like a movie that needs much more time spent on it. Or it's like a creator who doesn't know their strengths and weaknesses. Mm-hmm. I think, like famously, uh, Noah Hawley. What what was the movie Noah Hawley did that he said sucks ass? He did like a movie. It came out, and he was like, "Nobody go watch this movie. It sucks." I don't know <laughs> where he he made it, um, and he realized that I'm a TV guy. Mm -hmm. I do TV. I need long form. I need a lot of space. Mike White, I think realized that he needs more space than usual, but he can't make features, but these things don't need to be television shows. Mm -hmm. And that to me, I think is a great sort of self-awareness where he is making a six hour movie unfold and cutting it up into pieces. Um, and it and it is totally worth it because it has an episodic nature, but it's not like Favreau, who I think has kind of like the opposite problem, which is you're making movies and just cutting them up in 30 minute things and putting them on Disney Plus. That's not the medium for you. You should be making features.
1: Yeah, you're a movie guy. You're totally right. And like the White Lotus works perfectly because it's got this really clever structure of each episode is a day. And we've got the week long structure and you've got the little mystery built in. But it's like calling your shot. Like he knows why he's doing this structurally. It fits form and function match. It's you're right. The exact opposite of the Disney plus problem of we've made a couple of movies. And we're just gonna like arbitrarily chop them up every thirty-five minutes.
0: Yeah, yeah. And there's like <laughs> in the Disney Plus series don't have like cliffhangers. No, nope. like they don't build to anything. It's all been predetermined, and there's no like, th- there's no there there
1: where the, the scene just ends. Like this is the end of Act One. So we're two episodes in. Cut. <laughs> yeah. Huh?
0: How long is how long is everything? Two two forty uh i don't know Cut kind them of in 30 minute pieces just like 30 minutes cut like yeah. so do end that way where you're like wait what the fuck how yeah. are the credits rolling?" um but yeah i think mike white found a niche for himself i'd be interested to see him do television or movies but like at this point it's like you found the thing you're good at you should just keep doing this and the great thing that he stumbled upon is that he can now do A bunch of white lotuses and and explore all of the things that he wants to explore and he's not bound to continuity i mean Mm -hmm. kind of bound himself to jennifer coolidge which was a great choice um and then unfortunately like so frustrating (laughs) I, i keep trying to like do I keep trying to do like comic book logic like how could how could she not be so how could she, how is she gonna,
1: gonna <laughs> fall into a Lazarus pit
0: And yeah could she just had fallen right into a fucking uh, I don't know oh, God it was so frustrating too because she got out of it like she I know her. and
1: <laughs> and this is one of these things where like I have to remove myself and understand that I'm mad because I got worked like I'm a mark that was a good creative choice Because, like, my first knee-jerk is, no, it's a bad creative choice. It's unfair. They shouldn't have done that to that character. Like, no, no, no. That means it was effective because the back half of the season for that character is a gothic, like, horror story. She's in, like, a Castle of Toronto story. She's doomed. That's Mm -hmm. the point. That's how the stories work. She has to die to, like, make the narrative. Like, that's the medium and the kind of fiction that she's stepped into. It sucks for her. And she is she a person deserves better. But of course, she's not a person. She's a character. And it's an effective characterization. It's just really frustrating.
0: Yeah. And, and, but, and it also has a broader sort of implication with his sort of like his the way that he has two different um, uh, relationships that are uh, rooted in transactional sex mm-hmm. and one of them is Jennifer Coolidge and Greg, Tanya and Greg, and the other one is Albi and Lucia. Where it's like in in these scenarios you do have this sort of like you have both of these people are being sort of worked for money and one of them seemingly deserves it and the other one seemingly does not. Um and you sort of like don't sympathize or sympathize with Greg in any way. And you do empathize and sympathize with Lucia. And it's interesting how that dynamic does play out. Yeah.
1: And you're like the, the one of the most frustrating, frustrating things about the end of the season is that Greg's going to get all that money. Yeah. And, and then like you get it, like you, the audience lets out a cheer when you see Lucia walk away, like, yeah, yeah, she got it.
0: Yeah. And, and that's one the, one of the great things about his show is that everybody's fate is sort of like, uh, uh it, there's no sort of predetermined like in, in a lot of conventional storytelling like the bad people get uh, do bad shit and then we uh, receive catharsis through them having something bad done to them
1: mm-hmm.
0: and for Mike White he creates these moments where it's like for some of those people yes that's it's going to happen for Lucia she's going to get a happy ending but Tanya's not and that's just kind of how the world works like Yeah,
1: and that's what makes part of the show feel so realistic is there's all of these people, you know, the first season have that family, uh, Sidney Sweeney's family of like they all suck and they have like they all come out having had their marriage fixed somehow by this weird traumatic experience. But like they don't deserve happiness, but like people don't get what they deserve in the real world. And so you watch these people in the second season, Albie's dad. He can just like drop fifty thousand dollars, and it doesn't matter to him.
0: Yeah, and uh, it's karmic payment. Like
1: mm-hmm.
0: he, he had to do it, and I think that, um, yeah, and, and it, it's also really interesting too, where they they have those three generations of of Italian uh, guys. You have like F. Murray Abraham, Michael Imperioli, and then. The other guy who Plays Albie And uh, What is really funny to me Have you seen Sopranos? No So so it, he riffs on Sopranos a little bit Because there's a episode In season 2 I think Where they all go to Italy And they all go there And they have their fucking chest out And they're like we're going to the motherland Polly slicks his hair back And then they start bringing out food and shit like that and and they want like spaghetti and meatballs and, shit. <laughs> and they're bringing them you know like it it's just like it's just like a a a fresh noodle with some butter and pepper like that's the whole meal and he's like where's the gravy where's the meatballs <laughs> and they're like we don't have meatballs and then they bring out like seafood and shit and he was like what is this it's like calamari or something and then they start like these are the Italian guys, and they start talking to him in Italian. They don't know any fucking Italian, and so the whole trip is a nightmare. Like they just like, <laughs> Paulie's trying to connect with people. Nobody wants to talk to him. He's getting he's getting motherfucked everywhere he goes. Christopher just ends up getting high. Michael Imperial he just ends up getting high in his room the whole time. And Tony has this like whole fucking debacle too. And it, and and this one, it's like he turns that on its head. And he's like. These are guys who know they're not Italian. <laughs> like who mm-hmm. know that they hail from Italy but have no like we need a translator. What is this? How do we get there? What do, what do we do? And it was really interesting to see that too because that is like as much as Sopranos was an American story sort of ridiculing that. Now it's gotten to the point where it's like, yeah, they have they're searching for their roots. And they're searching for something much deeper than that. They haven't been to the, you know, to, to, you know, mother country maybe ever. And they're going to search something that they ultimately a don't need and b the people there don't want to give them. Mm-hmm. It's like, who the fuck are you? I've never <laughs> seen you in my life. Um, So that was interesting. What's also interesting is that the woman, that plays the voice of Michael Imperioli's wife is Laura Dirt. Really? Yeah. Um, and I'm not sure if, you know, she just did that as a, cause she's Mike White's friend or if like, maybe they set something up where she's in
1: season three. She's a big part of season three. Yeah. I could see, you know, I wonder if there's going to be connective tissue like that between all three seasons. My favorite connective tissue is that, all hotel managers are like hyper uh, overstressed queer people, Apparently, <laughs> like hilarious. And I like the inversion of what happens to each hotel manager. And you, you see them try to have like really ill-advised relationships with their coworkers. And it goes very differently for one versus the other. Like the first one, the first season is so clearly inspired by faulty towers and like the, the hotel manager even looks like Basil Fawlty with a little mustache. And so seeing them iterate on that's very funny. The uh,
0: the what I like that out of the gate, they use the hotel manager to to really distinguish the tone of both seasons.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Because The hotel manager in season one was like very like. Like, like very high, strong, up, like doing all the emotional labor that you're supposed to do. Hi, welcome, hello. And as soon as they get off the boat, the hotel manager is like motherfucking them, <laughs> like, oh, like just like being rude to the guests. There was like no, there, there was no, uh, there was no sort of like, because I understood the character who played the hotel manager in the first season i feel like i've encountered those people before working at hotels concierges shit like that who are like being nice because they have to be nice but that woman was like had no time for any of their requests and shit like that yeah
1: which is hilarious because i had an italian teacher in rome who was exactly like that woman (laughs) yeah yeah yeah. Is like really stressed all the time, constantly she was late for everything and like really, really high strung in a totally different way. Mm-hmm. Um And so it's it's a cultural thing and like seeing the. How that, you know, the European culture versus the like colonizer um, Hawaiian cultures, it's just it was very authentic to it being different. So I'm very much looking forward to, you know, White Lotus in. Some totally different country, um, and seeing the spin on that culture there.
0: There through season three is going to happen in Asia. Oh, perfect. Somewhere in Asia. Um, he, I think he, well, I've I read this on Wikipedia, so I don't know if it's true, but he was thinking about doing one at the Bilderberg conference at the Bilderberg Hotel. Do you know what that is? No, it's this very strange thing. Um, the Bilderberg conference is a, an off the record conference that happens annually and that evidently features like the world's sort of movers and shakers, like the president of the World this Bank. This is
1: just like the Illuminati conference. This is terrible.
0: Okay. <laughs> basically, yeah, that's basically what it is. But the idea, like the sort of, you know, public facing is that like all world leaders get together to try to solve problems and shit like that. It's like the G. Twenty summit or something um but it has been sort of uh a way it has been a a way to sort of uh create anti-semitic conspiracy theories like it's the bilderberg group and it's like all of the jewish people who run the world are in this hotel and they're planning out world domination and shit and so while i think this is probably why he didn't do it (laughs) But I think it would have been really fascinating to do, like, a staff of the Bilderberg Hotel (laughs) working at the conference. Uh Like, to have that perspective, I think, would have been, like, dramatically very interesting. But, like, you can't make a fucking thing about that. No.
1: I wonder, the other alternative is something like SEAL, you know, South Korea and like that's you know because what they haven't done is a highly urban location and you know and probably the white lotus what we've seen so far is go there to be fed and forget what day it is and don't worry about it but if it's like a different slightly different kind of people who imagine themselves to be movers and shakers who want to go experience you know korean pop culture and then it's some kind of like self uh self-aware squid game thing yeah uh, it could be a, a twist <laughs>
0: yeah and and to have it in an urban setting would be interesting so the reason that these that these shows worked was because of all the
1: covid shit right and you you don't want to try to shoot it <laughs> anywhere urban right now
0: Yeah, especially for a long period of time. Like, yeah, a lot of stuff like that has come out or that was shot during the pandemic is shot on really either controlled sound stages. And if it's done on location, people have to be in the same room.
1: Uh, And interestingly, that sort of like controlled environment works for stories like White Lotus and The Menu of, you know, because it is by a definition, either people who are totally isolated or people who are isolating themselves out of power and privilege and yes. can go somewhere exclusive.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But I wouldn't mind, you know, like, uh, going to Burma, like mm-hmm. uh, going to, you know, Taiwan, that would be interesting. Like places where Nepal, like places where people go, where they're like ancient ruins and shit, <laughs> uh, would be interesting um they did one in mexico too that would be great and i think that they'll just keep letting them make these i mean until they start to suck ass but
1: and they can't be all that expensive in you know because yeah, yeah. they're nice places but it's there's not like lots of crazy special effects it's well, you like
0: yeah yeah you don't think that hbo execs like that's like wh- their
1: fucking retreats. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. This is places they already have booked.
0: <laughs> yeah, Mike White's just like, after you're done, can we use it?
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh man, yeah. But that show rules. Yeah, we, for whatever reason, I can. I think White Lotus just came out during a time in the pandemic where we were trying to switch gears and watch less shit. Mm-hmm. Because you're just like, oh, God, we're just watch- like Tiger King and fucking whatever the hell else we were watching during those early stages of the pandemic. And then it was like, now nah, let's try to get outside. And they're like, Let- let's go definitely back inside.
1: She's <laughs> like, right. Yeah. And the, the spikes. Absolutely. Um, All right. We're coming up on time here. But um, I watched just watched Cruising finally. And, oh, um, <laughs> and it was Friday the 13th and we were going to watch the remake of Friday the 13th because it's got uh, one of the supernatural actors in the 2009 version and that was not readily accessible so we watched Al Pacino's Cruising instead and um, it's such a strange film it has in my opinion two good scenes two really excellent scenes Uh, cop night at the gay bar that Al Pacino gets kicked out of for not being enough of a cop which is hilarious Um, and really speaks to the the gay culture that they're, the the leather culture that they are portraying, part of what makes the movie so frustrating is that the first half hour, when you just see that culture, uh, is very authentic. They're great. It's very realistic. They got real leather men to be extras, and it feels really uh, real. And that's part of what makes the movie potentially really disturbing is that actual uh normal that slice of gay culture is then presented as somehow being able to drive you to become a killer or something that's what kind of fucked up about it um really good scene to see pacino get bounced out of the park um and then the fact that when they're later interrogating pacino have just a random big dude in a cowboy hat who's otherwise basically naked slapping people around for no, it's never explained. And it speaks to a larger piece of the movie just not explaining shit and mm. not, I think, really wanting to commit to anything. Um there's like a whole thing about the steak knives that then doesn't really pan out. and the the motives of the killer are never really fully explained. And it feels like a lot got lost in translation from the book to the movie. But those two scenes are delightful. And the rest of it just finally comes off as, It would have been so incredibly shocking when it came out. And now you see like more shocking shit in a random episode of the white Lotus. And it's just like, not that big a deal.
0: Yeah. I mean, people, people don't like the movie and think it's homophobic uh, retrospectively. Um, And even during the time there were like protests about the fucking movie. Um, You couldn't like show it uh, in, in some movie theaters. Um, But it's it is strange because what William Friedkin does in that movie is he does a a sort of riff on Italian slasher movies where the killer is often sexually repressed. like Mm -hmm. They had some traumatic thing happen to them as a kid um, that fucked with their sexuality or they had something I like. I just watched a movie called New York Ripper where there is like a, a person who is traumatized sexually as a child and uh, there's like a fucking Daffy Duck uh, toy around or something like that. And so it's a killer who kills everybody and contacts the police talking like Daffy Duck. And it's fucking crazy and stupid. But like those are the kinds of
1: movies that Freakin was sort of ripping on. And I don't think he understood how deeply homophobic it would be to like riff on it by using and he even says those injuries well I was just setting it in the SM-, SM culture. Like, cool, but because you're using the the genre conventions of these Jalo ideas, mm. what you're saying is this like totally healthy, totally normal leather culture is gonna turn you into a killer. It sucks. Yeah, and that that is the site of sexual <laughs> injury. Right. Uh- and and specifically, we don't actually know what the problem is with the killer. He talks right. to his dead dad. Yeah, yeah. What happened? Nobody knows. It's never explained. No,
0: and, and, and but yes, and so all you're left to do is sort of piece this together. Where it's like Freakin' is not, I think, making any kind of. Um, he's such a he's such a uh, ambient director. Where it's like The Exorcist takes takes place in the fucking c- c- scariest place on earth. Like it's just. To Washington D.C. It just <laughs> looks yeah. fucking terrifying, like that townhouse and Max Vincero shoots it, everything like that. And you know, maybe Catholic and Christian groups were like pissed when they saw that shit and thought it was blasphemous. But freaking is never thinking about that.
1: No, the movie is just about vibes.
0: Yeah, it's just vibes. <laughs> it's just. He's like too Gen Z for for his time. Like, yep. I'm just trying to make a vibes movie, dude. Have you gone to the meatpacking district? Have you gone in those clubs? That's vibes, bro.
1: And you're right; it's peak vibes, and the vibes are really and the vibes are immaculate until you're like, oh, by the way, killers. Yeah, um, and, and this is kind of you know, it's like watching The Hunger as well. It's like it's all vibe, and then like we're trying to tell a story that doesn't matter or make sense. We should have just made a, a long music video instead.
0: Yeah, yeah, and his his matters and it makes sense, and it matters because it's all fucked
1: up. (laughs) Right, yeah, but like the, it doesn't want to tell you anything, but then what you're left with is a bunch of pieces that add up to something very homophobic.
0: Yeah, yeah, where it's like, what is the sexual injury that happens that caused all the chaos? Oh, it's that he was dealing with gay people in the the 80s.
1: Yeah, and like Al Pacino, the movie's telling you he in order to, like, catch the killer, he becomes the monster. But, like, how did that happen to him? I don't know. He hung out with a bunch of, like, Leatherman. Really? Yeah. That's it? Like, yeah, that's it. Well, <laughs> What? That's horrible. And Why it's would al- you say that?
0: And it's also very either un- unfortunate or very specific casting because he did Dog Day Afternoon, I believe, the year before this, where he plays a, uh, somebody who's trying to get his lover, played by John Cazale, uh, out of prison. And so he stages this whole thing and has this whole hostage thing. And like the twist at the end of that movie is that Al Pacino is gay. And like, it's this huge sort of revelatory thing. And so Al Pacino sort of trafficking in that uh, for a little bit. And I'm not sure that William Friedkin knew how that was going to come off.
1: Yeah, that doesn't play well, especially because Pacino's character and cruising very specifically never has sex with a dude. Like it's this weird like and it actually he becomes this like plot bubble armor around him where people are having sex around him. And he's just like hanging out in gay clubs, but like they would have kicked him out. He's not doing anything. He's just loitering basically. Yeah. And yeah. it becomes unbelievable. And that
0: was the other thing too, when they were like either people, because there are some people who really love that movie. Cause it's like, Oh, this captures a moment of the subculture that we don't have on Phil. And so, like, yeah,
1: and it truly does. I mean, the first twenty minutes before it gets like weirdly killery. I guess like there's a kill in the first couple of minutes, but when it's just like, here's just a shot of a of a of one of these clubs. Like, yeah, this looks right. This looks totally authentic. This is like a documentary almost. And
0: th- but that second bit is the part that's fucked. That's fucked up about it, where it's like, Pacino is is an anthropologist, and this is like a weird, like. Exploitative gaze that's happening here. Like, yeah, this becomes
1: like serpent in the rainbow. <laughs> like, I'm going to go look at,
0: yeah, spooky culture. I also find great value in those movies that photograph like New York City before Giuliani, where yes. it's like, oh shit, like the adult entertainment uh, district that's, you know, downtown or this is Times Square, where that, 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 like, the New York Ripper is not a good movie. Like, it's a pretty bad movie. But I loved it because I got to see New York in the 1980s and all of this shit that's missing to go go back to the beginning of the fucking podcast where it's just like dorks on unicycles. Now, it used to be like, you know, what with the peep shows and all these fucking.
1: Yeah. Midnight Cowboy does a great job of this. That's just like
0: fucking great. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And and we had watched it not recently, but when you stand up something like Midnight Cowboy and then. You know, this movie comes out, Cruising comes out like 10 years later. like, why did you make this movie? Midnight Cowboy exists, photographs right. the world, and isn't like massively offensive. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I don't know. I guess you just like the book.
1: Yeah. It's it's a p- vibes weird ass, weird ass movie. Yeah, lots of vibes. <laughs> uh, speaking of lots of vibes, that'll do it for this episode.
0: Email us at it's just just bad at email.com. <laughs> Stay off social media. It's bad. It's bad bad vibes you. there. Yeah, bad <laughs> for you. It's bad for me. Bye.
1: Is this just ad Bad? <laughs> bad? It's like what pirates poured your brain, robbing knowledge, no joking. Opening in your mind with the crowbar till you're woken hitting hydra hailing hairs. have for time for hella reasons. We're more than winter the soldiers with the men for all seasons. Listen closely while we share our expertise in Cost comics culture, dean is free tuition to the multiversity. Mouse is psycho like teaching perfect balance when we snap infinite gems into your ears. dust our shoulders when we speak. Purple man persuasive speech. we Randy Savage rattles with immortal technique. Ooh.